shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. Happy Friday, everyone. It's time to go Inside EMS. And I got to tell you, EMS week is over, and uh, it was really exciting. Hope you had a great EMS week. And, and let's go ahead and bring in the guy that I'm sure didn't have a good EMS week. He's just one of those guys that need a hug, just needs a cuddle. Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Actually, I had a pretty decent EMS week. They, well, how uh, about that? Oh, well, I mean, uh, uh, dispatch treated me like a, a, beat me like a rented mule as usual, but that's, uh, that's expected. But, you know, the, the, uh, the management brought us by some food and, and, uh, um, the day crews didn't eat, uh, all the food that the hospital set out. So I got some stale cake and cookie cake and that sort of thing. Just, so it was just, it was a wonderful, yeah. They even gave me a pack of trail mix. How, yeah. how cool is that? I mean, it was probably all that whining they heard on the last show, man. They just wanted to take care of you. Nothing nothing says we love you and appreciate you, EMS, like a 59-cent bag of trail mix. That's right. Well, at least you got trail mix, though. So, you know, Kelly, you know what I really like about this show? What's that? Really, other, than, other than the sound of your voice? Other than the sound of my voice, actually the sound of listening to your voice, is, you know, since we've been doing the show, I, I think we've really picked up some some really, really great guests and, you know, we've talked about some great topics and, and I, I'm, I'm very proud to say that we bring the subject matters experts to our show. I mean, think about it. When we talk about health and fitness, we got Brian Foss. We talk about pediatric education. We got Dr. Antevi. You know, we talk about escaping violent encounters. You know, we talk about Kip T. Sort. And there's just so many names that, that are the experts in our field and today, I don't think is any different because now we have the opportunity to share the expertise of volunteerism with our next guest. And I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the mic and give you the honor of introducing our next guest. Yeah, our, our guest this week is Nancy McGee. She is a uh, volunteer EMT, longtime volunteer EMT from uh, the great state of Connecticut and a longtime uh, member of management for a management service organization dedicated to providing staffing and uh, consulting and training to volunteer EMS agencies throughout Connecticut. And uh, uh, I also have the, the honor of, of uh, calling her my sweetheart. She's, uh, she, we've been, been uh, a couple for several years now, and, and over the years she's managed to beat some of the misconceptions I've had about volunteer EMS out of me. She, she hasn't quite changed my mind on volunteer EMS, but uh, she's made me admit a few misconceptions that I had. Nancy, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. You know, I got to say, you know, first off, Nancy, I I'm really excited because Kelly and I, we've gone back and forth on this volunteerism, and, and we both talk about that is this a component of our history that's dead or dying or, or, or the status of it is. But before I, we even get into that, I have to say that you are going right to heaven. Because for anyone who gets to date Kelly Grayson, which is an honor in itself, I have to say, you must be an angel. You're going right to heaven. So I just want to throw that right out there. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you don't know what I might be making up for, though. So. Oh, that's very true. <laughs> you're, think, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, you know, Nancy, we're excited to have you here. And Kelly and I have talked, uh, you know, several times about bringing you on and talking about this topic. But, you know, very excited on the heels of your own column on EMS1. And why don't you go and tell us a little bit about that first column and uh, what you're trying to accomplish with your message? 
Well, the first column um, basically was about exploding uh, some of the mythology that surrounds volunteer EMS, specifically that it's dying, that it's gone, that it's history, that it has no place in EMS. And I could give you a couple of numbers that are kind of extraordinary if, uh, if you have a minute. Um, We've got all the minutes. Let's go ahead and get it. Right. Well, in the, according to the National Association of uh, EMTs, and these, these dates are probably around 2012. I'm not sure how often they update them. There are 891,000 EMS professionals in the United States. 600,000 are EMTs, 142,000 are paramedics, and there are over a million cross-trained uh, firefighters in EMS. What, out of those numbers, approximately 62% of them volunteer. So the reality is that the, the vast majority of EMS in this country is provided by volunteers. Now, some of them, about 40% of them also work in EMS. So the fact that uh, people believe that EMS is, that, uh, that volunteerism is dying is perpetuated by the constant news media uh, feed of those that are, which is just as true of uh, privates, commercials all over the country that are, that are not able to um, be sustainable in, in areas where there's just no money to support it. That's the constant refrain you see on, on all these EMS forums that volunteer EMS is, is dying out and volunteer EMS is in crisis. Some of our own respected columnists on EMS one have said that very thing. Uh, I've said it, volunteer EMS is in crisis. You know, um, it, so apparently the, the, uh, the hype doesn't match the reality. Is that what you're saying? That, well, that, uh, or are we just suffering from a raging case of selection bias? That's all we see. So we assume that's true of the entire demographic. I believe that to be exactly the case. And I think that if, if there's one thing that we've realized at this point is that facts are completely irrelevant in the echo chamber of uh, social media. Um, and so it doesn't matter how many times you give people facts. It doesn't matter if it's spinal mobilization. It doesn't matter if it's education. It doesn't matter what the subject is. There are going to be a majority of people who are just regulars, essentially, who are going to come back with a, nope, that's wrong. You know, you're, you're full of it. I was told that, you know, I was an idiot. I'm clueless. Well, I actually have facts. I have worked with volunteers and I have done a tremendous amount of research on the subject just to see if I was absolutely crazy. And Kelly, in fact, uh, is one of the people that the argument with volunteers keeping the pay scale low absolutely, you know, found that to be something that was irrefutable. So we went back and forth on that for a while and I did some research and as it turns out, he was wrong. He had to... Whoa, 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 whoa. I will not have that blasphemy on this show. That tasted really, really bad. Oh my goodness. Did you hear what she said? She said, yes, I yes. am going to play that over and over again. That was awesome. But please tell us how Kelly was wrong, Nancy. Well, one of the things that has constantly been perpetuated, and you'll see on these forums and, you know, in uh, talk groups all the time, is that the fact that people provide EMS services for free is what keeps the pay scale low in EMS. And that, that is based on the CMS uh, guidelines back, I guess, from the 70s. Uh, the, the last... I think the last fee schedule was released in the 90s, but but it was researched in the late 80s, and, and urban legend had it, I guess, that that uh, it was based on an average of average cost nationwide of providing EMS services, and that the volunteer EMS services who did not charge and did not have 
seek reimbursement and, and did not have any personnel costs drug down the average cost of, of, uh, of, of supplying EMS. And uh, as it turns out, uh, Nancy will tell you that's not true. Yeah, so during your research, I mean, because I think this is a really uh, important line to follow here, because I, I want to talk to you about billing next. But uh, so when in your research, what is it that you found? Um, the agencies that did not provide the information that they were looking for, part of which was labor, because labor, as you know, you're, you're a management person, constitutes about 70, 75 percent of the cost of providing EMS in, uh, overall. And so it kind of would make sense. The argument makes sense, but it, it has no basis. The agencies that contributed the information uh, at the time had to provide a cost, whether it was zero or, or nothing or half. And if they did not provide that information, they were not included in the numbers. And so there were no volunteers that were listed in, in those numbers. As, as it turns out, uh, Nancy, Nancy and I were digging and, and trying to find uh, – the the source of that uh, of that urban legend, um, and, and I'd heard it through rumor and accepted it as, as fact. Uh, but when they were were um, researching those those CMS reimbursement guidelines, uh, they excluded uh, volunteer EMS agencies, uh, and they excluded agencies who did not charge uh, or did not uh, seek reimbursement. Um, it's probably more true that what held uh, what held the uh, the numbers down and artificially dragged them down was paid EMS agencies, uh, municipal EMS agencies, who only charged the token fee for EMS care. Uh, that probably had more to do with with dragging down the the average uh, than the volunteers in any case. Very interesting. So, you know, when we think about it, and I'm still one of these guys. I mean, just because you've You've kind of turned Kelly a little bit towards that dark side. He's not turned all the way, but he's got one dark foot that's side. kind of leaning that way. You know, I'm the, I'm the kind of guy where I'm saying, and I think volunteerism in the United States as we knew it uh, is kind of going by the wayside. And you, you, you hear these, and we, we announce these articles every week almost about which volunteer agency is now closing. And, and you know, and I just read a story today about a, uh, a municipality that's laying off 16 firefighters because of calls. I mean, so I think it's the day and age that we're in. But when you have to have a fish fry to, to fill up your gas tank to be able to run calls, I think that there's challenges there. And one of the things that I've always thought is, and I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same thing, is how come, even though there's no money in the budget, to have a volunteer or to pay a volunteer agency, how come they still can't bill for the calls that they run? I mean, there's, you know, they're not going to make a profit. They're going to put it right back into the organization. They're going to help put gas in the vehicles. They're going to help buy some medical supplies, some durable supplies. But why aren't they doing that? Well, the vast majority actually are billing, Chris. Um, probably in the 70% range of agencies are billing. And the ones that aren't seem to have the notion that it, it makes them uh, less altruistic if they bill. And that needs to change. Every single call needs to be billed. There's no reason to leave that money lying on the table when it could be used to improve your system and to provide the equipment that's necessary and to pay the bills. None whatsoever. There's other ways that, that people can, people who can't afford the ambulance, that's what they're worried about. The volunteers are worried that the little old lady who doesn't want to have an ambulance bill isn't going to call and therefore will you know, just die in her house. And there are other ways around that. A lot of agencies bill, and then they they do very soft um, um, 
A county, yeah. They, they, they maybe send a bill two or three times and then they just write it off. And I think that they get, some places get help from municipalities with that as well. And the fact is, most agencies do receive community support. They may not get, their, their crew is not directly paid, so they're not free. Most, most towns and municipalities contribute something to the uh, volunteer organization to put gas in the, in the truck and to pay for new trucks and to pay the rent and keep the lights on. So that's, that's a little bit of a fallacy. There's very few that get nothing. There are some, but there's, they are the minority. And that needs to change for them too. The community that is served needs to provide some backup for the, the volunteer agencies uh, for what they do for their community. You know, part of my issue with volunteer EMS, and, and I've said this time and time again, and I'll continue to say it, I don't think volunteerism is good for the future of EMS. Um, and now a lot of people mistake that to, you know, the, they can't separate the, the philosophical position from uh, my support of volunteer EMTs. They think that equates to me hating and volley bashing, and, and it's not true. I, I I love to talk to EMS volunteers. You can go to any EMS conference, and and probably the majority of the people you see uh, attending that conference are volunteers there on their own dime. Uh, we make fun of them with you know because they have patches and pagers on and call them whackers, but uh, they're spending their money to go get continuing education. But my thing is, is it, it all boils down to the whole why uh, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free argument and. You know, I realize that in great swaths of the country, there are there are places that cannot pay for volunteer EMS, and it's unrealistic uh, to say that a community should should pay full time EMS uh, when they don't have the tax base to support it, and they run maybe 50, 60 calls a year. On the other hand, I, I really think that the 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 places that could afford volunteer EMS and and can and do have the tax base to support a a full time paid system should do so rather than relying on volunteers. Now, I'm after many arguments with Nancy, uh, I know she's got a rebuttal to this, so I'll <laughs> shut up and let her let her say it. What do you what do you think? I just love this show. Just to hear him say he's going to shut up. I mean, this is just I mean, kind of amazing, this, isn't it? <laughs> this is my this is my Christmas morning right now. All right, Nancy, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think the argument that if they can afford to pay for it, they should kind of insinuates that paid EMS is somehow better than volunteer EMS. And that's what I take issue with. I think that if a community chooses to have a nonprofit volunteer agency fill their needs, as long as that agency is responding, as long as they are trained to the same level as they would be if they were paid, that they have that, that choice. The difference between commercial EMS, private EMS, and volunteer EMS is that in many ways, Volunteer EMS is community medicine. The big talk these days is about uh, community paramedicine, which I think is the future. But right now, I think that communities being served by volunteers have an entirely different attitude. They have an entirely different approach. Volunteers have the time to sit for an hour and a half, talk to the little old lady who maybe called because she was lonely, comfort the family. They, they have a lot of involvement with the patient that just isn't possible in a uh, for-profit service. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with for-profit services. I'm just saying that there's a benefit to the volunteers that people who do not deal with volunteers have no way of understanding. Look, oh, look, uh, I'm just itching to, <laughs> to argue with that. What you're saying is, is that, that 
volunteers can provide like value added service beyond just an EMS call? Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Okay. So, so if they have the time to do this, they can, they can do a, a lot of those community paramedicine functions and, and trumpet that, that support of the community when, when it comes time for funding. Is that what you're, you're getting at? I'm not saying they can do community paramedicine because I believe that ALS always needs to be paid and I believe ALS needs to always be available. The vast majority of volunteers are BLS services, and there are many things they can do in their community as preventative services, as you say, add-on values to the community, besides just running calls. And I think the community will, would like to support that. It's, it's a, a wonderful thing to have in a small town or a small village is to have local people taking care of their neighbors. Interesting stuff. So so let me ask you this, because again, I'm still not convinced. I've got the cross in my hand right now. I've got the garlic around my neck. <laughs> And, and, you know, I am fighting this tooth and nail, but the benefit of the doubt here. So when we think about the biggest misconceptions, Nancy, or when we think about how we can change our perceptions or what we can do to help, I mean, what advice do you have for us now to, you know, move the volunteerism forward or to, to bring greater awareness to it? Or, or how do we go about now? Because if we're going ahead and spouting that volunteerism is dead and in fact that it's not, we're not doing it justice. So what is it that we need to do to kind of fix this now? Well, I think we have to decide that we're all on the same team. Uh, first of all, there, there's a lot of talk and a lot of vitriol, and I, I have a hard time understanding where that comes from, from the people who are, as you say, uh, anti-volunteer. I have no use for the Ricky Rescue that shows up for the good cause, for the agencies that, you know, tone out for 15 minutes and then it goes to the next town, for the ones that, you know, show up from the farm, you know, looking like uh, Joe Bag of Rags. That is not the kind of volunteerism I'm talking about. There are highly professional agencies out there that all volunteer agencies should model themselves after. And it's not going to happen overnight because it's a cultural thing in many areas, but that's what has to happen for the future. And I believe that when the agencies overall come across as looking professional, behaving professional, providing the same care, there, there's no longer a threat. You know, there's no longer the people showing up and finding the stare of life, as Kelly calls it, unseen, you know, from, from the volunteers who have done nothing for the first 15 minutes before the paramedic gets there. That's changeable. That's fixable. Um, it doesn't mean that the institution should be um, done away with. It means that it needs to be fixed and, and upgraded in some areas. And some are doing a great job. So how do you respond to those people who's, who... Uh, question how a volunteer can keep their skills sharp in a low-volume volunteer EMS system. The same way that a paid person in a, in a volunteer, uh, in a, in a low-volume area has to. You have to take it upon yourself or the agency, whoever's paying you or not paying you, whoever's in charge needs to ensure <laughs> that, that that education takes place. And education needs to be a focus. I do not believe that volunteers should have to pay for education. I don't believe that volunteers should have to pay for uniforms or any of the other things that that uh, are necessary to provide a professional uh, response. Um, I think that there should be tax credits. All there's a lot of things that that I think about, obviously, but. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be one of those conversations. We're going to have to have you back so we can just kind of uh, get deeper and deeper into this. Because as you, as I'm writing these notes down, there's just so many offshoots of questions that I want to go into. And certainly, uh, you know, we want to be able to be mindful of your time. But why don't you hang out with us and why don't you do the news with us since, uh, you know, Kelly and I usually do it. But since you're there, 
And uh, let's go ahead and join us, and let's do a little threesome with the news, Kelly. How about that? Would that be okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. You, just, you, you said just, the wrong uh, thing. You just rendered me speechless here. Yeah, um, that's that's the news. But so, but before we get into the news, one of the things that I want to thank you guys for is, and also give you a reminder, is go ahead head over to iTunes and go ahead and rate our shows. You guys are really answering the call, and we really appreciate that. And, you know, this is something that really helps out the show, and uh, we appreciate all the fans of the show that are out there. So thank you very much. But, Kelly, it's about time that we start to talk about some of this news at the end of our EMS week, and uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, you know, give us the first story. And, Nancy, feel free to jump in with your comments. Our first news story comes uh, comes to us from El Paso, Texas, where a, uh, a sergeant from Fort Bliss was was uh, in jail on a two day DUI hold and was apparently fighting with uh, with correction staff and they administered a sedative uh, and stood by and then did nothing as the guy went into respiratory failure and eventually arrested. The the video is pretty pretty telling. Um, it's pretty obvious when you watch the video uh, that the man's respiratory drive is is uh, incompatible with life. Uh, yet no one does anything to intervene. And and Nathan Stanaway, EMS columnist, uh, EMS one columnist, Nathan Stanaway makes the point that uh, this makes the case uh, for a medically trained safety officer in corrections facilities. Uh, someone needed to, to intervene there. You know, it, it shades of Eric Garner. You know, you, you had two, uh, FDNY EMTs who were standing by as Eric Garner was, 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 uh, hollering that he couldn't breathe. And, and guess what? He, he couldn't breathe and he wound up dying. How often is this going to have to happen before, uh, before we start to take these medical complaints seriously? Yeah, and, and one of these challenges that you have, and you and I have been on these calls, Kelly, where we're going to the prison and people are saying they're having whatever. and, and It's incarceritis, but, you know, we still need to take it seriously. But I think that that's where the, I think that's where the culture has come from. The culture has come from the fact of that, that everybody who goes to jail now has chest pain and has shortness of breath and I've got to have my medicines and I've got to have the so on and so forth. And I, I think there's a certain amount of truth to those things. And I, I like your idea of the having a medically trained person who's on, you know, on staff that's able to deal with those things because, you I, know, a lot of... Nathan's idea, actually, but oh, I'll, was it? I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. Awesome. But but I think one of the challenges are they'll call us out, you know, the, 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 the jail will call us out and say, we want to make sure he's medically fit for confinement. We can't do that. No, we can't. If you call us out to the prison, if you call us out to the jail, we're taking that person with us. And you got to be prepared for that because we can't just leave them there to say, I think that they're going to be okay. And if you guys are doing that, you need to seriously reconsider because we can't see what's going on in there, and and you've got to be able to, to make sure that you uh, uh, you know handle that situation as best that you can. A lot of uh, law enforcement agencies, you know, mistakenly believe that because they were checked out by EMS, that kind of indemnifies them uh, against any any suit, uh, and and they find out uh, much to their chagrin. Otherwise, when the, when the lawsuit goes forward. Hopefully, uh, more of them catch on and, and at least learn to provide some simple, basic life support uh, for these patients like uh, like the Army Sergeant in El Paso. And Somebody from the outside that's objective. I think it's too easy for those the people that are involved every day in the crying wolf to overlook things like that. So, you know, someone that's going to advocate for the patient regardless 
probably should be the person making the assessment. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that, you know, even though it's a different story, in the same EMS1 news feed, Baltimore police often disregard suspects, medical emergencies, records show. And again, we've, we've just gotten into this whole, you know, culture of it, they're just trying to get out of, trying to get out of jail. And uh, I, I think we have to lift that. So I think that you guys are absolutely right when it comes to that. So my story goes to England. And this one was really kind of shocking to me that after 40 years, a man sneezes out a toy dart that was <laughs> lodged in his nose. This has been perplexing me all day. How the heck do you have a dart in your nose for 40 years and you can't get it out? I mean, it's just... Idea, Pearl. I, yeah, I, I <laughs> have no years. idea. You Kelly, know? I need your help here. I mean, you're the premier premier educator on this show. And here's a 51-year-old guy who uh, knees out the sucker tip of a toy dart about the size of a penny. And uh, he was sitting at his computer. And all of a sudden, you're like, what the heck is that? That's the biggest thing that I've ever seen. It's just craziness. 40 I, years. I just... <laughs> Two things come to mind. You know, first, the, the Steve Berry cartoon where the guy sneezes out a nasopharyngeal airway. And it sticks to uh, the EMT's forehead like one of those toy sucker darts. Uh, that image, I can't get it out of my head. That is a good one. And the other one is is the scene from The Hobbit where the uh, the cave trolls pick up Bilbo, you know, and uh, you know, Oi, look what came out of me, Hooter. Yeah, I've, never, I've not <laughs> seen just a, a humongous booger with legs. <laughs> I've not seen that movie, so I'm going to have to take your word for it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, but you see these news stories about, you know, people with, with uh, a nail in their brain and, and uh, a bullet in their brain and, and all sorts of things dislodged or, or noted years after the fact. Um, normally you see these as, as case reports from third world countries, but, but still pretty amazing. My story is, is a pretty sad testament to culture and EMS. And it's not so much the story, it's the, it's the comments on the EMS link on Facebook about it. We covered the story about the firefighter who made the lewd comments on an open mic about the EMT, called her to the department bicycle. And coincidentally, the firefighter uh, and, and lieutenant who uh, made those comments is set to retire. I don't think that's very coincidental at all. But the female uh, EMT has not, been, has not come back to work yet. And the comments made on Facebook about this make me ashamed of my profession. We got women, women saying, well, you know, lighten up, uh, you know, toughen up cupcake. This is, this is what the profession you got into, you know, as if it's some, as if being called the department bicycle, regardless of whether she was a department bicycle or not and slept with everyone in the department, that is inappropriate. It's inappropriate if you're a male. It's, it's inappropriate if you're a female, and it's nobody's business. Right. And and the fact that we have female EMTs saying that this is the kind of stuff that you should just get used to just boggles my mind. Right. Um, I, I don't get it. And and you have other people saying, well, you know, it's not slander. She really was a department bicycle. Really, right. really, that's the tack you're going to take. You know, if that's the kind of thought process you have about this kind of behavior that's not the kind of people i want as partners it's not the kind of people that belong in ems i agree with you 100 and and i wrote an article on this a couple months back this is the darker side of ems yes. you know we use we well, use 
this we use this dark humor and and we use uh, making fun of things and and we call it a defense mechanism but when we step over the line and we start sexually harassing our male and female because you know just because you're a different orientation than i am uh those are the people that are getting those those inappropriate comments as well but we've got to move away from this and and i use an example in my article of 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 a peer of mine who wanted to be a firefighter forever her whole life and she was sexually harassed by a senior member of the fire department uh, you know a captain or so and she went to him and she said, well, I appreciate if you'd stop, so and so and so on. And then she went to the chief. And, of course, she didn't know that the chief and this captain had come in at the same time. And they spent their careers in the fire service together. Well, within a three-month time frame, you know, she was labeled a cancer. She was labeled a coward. She was labeled not a team player. And she had enough paperwork that she wound up getting fired. Now, because of the fire service being as small as it was, she never worked another day in a job that she wanted to have her whole life because she didn't want to put up with the status quo of being harassed. And and I'm sorry for the people who are out there that are saying, toughen up, cupcake. This is the horrible, the most horrible part of our career field that we have to get rid of this. And, and I'm with you, man. It's just sickening to hear that people would even suggest that. All it, all it takes is, is some Neanderthal who made a pass at a woman and gets turned down and then starts a rumor uh, about her her sexual activities uh, just to get back at her. That's all it takes to get this kind of thing started. We don't even need to engage it. We don't even need to consider its its veracity. We need to drum that out of EMS. Don't talk. First of all, don't crap where you eat, folks. If you're an EMT, don't sleep with people you work with. Male, female, doesn't matter. It's always a recipe for disaster. But if you do know of a colleague who is sleeping with someone they work with, it's none of your dadgum business. Shut up about it. And don't talk to people and don't talk about people about it. It's, it's low class and it has no place in EMS. That's right. Dadgum. All right. Yeah. Nancy, I'd be, I'd be interested in a female's perspective. What do you got? Well, it annoys me that women feel that in order to take their place in either EMS or fire, that they need to be part of the boys club, you know, look like them, scratch like them, spit like them, and talk like them. That that drives me straight up a wall. And unfortunately, that's a female thing. You know, we need to work that out uh, amongst each other. But the bigger part of it is the matter of advocacy. And I think that when you look at firefighters who are proud to put a picture of a firefighter giving oxygen to a kitten, you know, and saying how compassionate they are, how they can allow their own to be bullied and harassed without standing yeah. up and being a man and taking a side, you know, or against a woman or a man that's acting that way. I, I think that that's Huge. disgraceful. Right. Huge and that is a le- that's a leadership that comes from the top. Um, you know, that, that cannot be allowed. And people that stand up and make a difference and say their peace and protect each other need to be acknowledged and, and, and uh, noticed by, by management as well. I agree 100%. And I didn't hear the whole thing because I was spitting and scratching myself. But, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, Kelly, in the uh, sake of time, man, I think we've gotten up there to uh, end another show, man. So uh, I think it's about that time to get us up on out of here. So I'm going to give you the reins of the show and uh, do your thing. How nice of you to do that, Chris. I appreciate uh, occasionally getting the reins of the show. Especially <laughs> on one you were wrong on more than once. <laughs> That's right. oh, yeah. in, your, in your opinion in your opinion ma'am 
Once again, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS, and we'd like to thank our, our guest this week, Nancy McGee. Her column is uh, Redesigning Volunteer EMS, uh, found on EMS1.com. Call her with your questions, comments, concerns about Volunteer EMS, and we look forward to reading more from her in the future. And from myself and co-host Chris Civilero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS, and we'll catch you guys next week.